Well, good morning on this, the first day of our church calendar year, the first Sunday of Advent. One of the things I have learned to appreciate about this season is its brutal honesty. We begin our new year not by wishing each other a happy one or by singing odd lang syne as we raise our glasses to the good old days. No, one of the first things we do is hear a prayer of pain and lament. That's what we heard in our first reading this morning from the prophet Isaiah. That things are not well. That it's dark outside and God is nowhere to be found. You see that? Honesty. (laughs) Because when you take an honest look at the state of our world, at the state of our lives, it reveals that things are not as they should be. My goodness, the pain of late inflicted upon our church family by the ravages of cancer alone presses the darkness down upon us. Our relationships not being what we want them to be, the circumstances in our lives that flood us with anxiety, it all presses the darkness down upon us. We turn on the news and we're bombarded with stories of what's happening in Ukraine and Israel and the Gaza Strip hostages, the tragic loss of life and home, dysfunctional politics, you name it, this darkness refuses to let up. Things are not well, and that is right where our new year begins with Advent, a time when we face up to the very fact that it is dark outside. I wonder, what is the darkness in your life right now? What presses down upon you and refuses to let up? Is it depression, financial struggles, health issues, family matters, the loss of a loved one? Or maybe it's a growing inner sense of discontent. Advent is here so we can be honest about all of this. In fact, I believe the reason our church calendar begins on such a sour note, the reason it begins in such a dark place, is so that something might start to stir within us. Because when we're honest about these things, when we face up to the darkness, that's usually when we start looking around for hope. Darkness has a way of awakening within us a desire for God to show up and not only do something about this mess, but do something big. Come, Lord Jesus, and shine not just a flashlight, but a spotlight into this dark place. Don't just give us a candle. Give us a great ball of fire, something undeniable. And so that's how we pray, isn't it? Oh God, that you would tear open the heavens and come down so that the mountains would quake at your presence. That's how this prayer of pain and lament from Isaiah begins, with a plea for God to do something and do something big. Israel at that time wanted God to do the dramatic because they too were in a dark place. They were in a very dark place. One of the most significant and devastating events in all of Israel's history had recently occurred. 
the destruction of Jerusalem and its temple. The center of their lives, their faith, their nation, all destroyed by the Babylonians. And for the Jews who survived, well, they now are left to live in exile. The passage we heard read today is a part of a larger prayer that comes out of this tragedy. Listen to these lines that immediately follow what we just heard read this morning. Isaiah says to God, Your holy cities have become a wilderness. Zion has become a wilderness. Jerusalem, a desolation. Our holy and beautiful house where our ancestors praised you has been burned by fire. And all our pleasant places have become ruins. Think about it. 600 years of history since the days of Moses. A story full of promise meant to culminate in a land flowing with milk and honey. A holy nation shining as a light to the world. A place meant to be for peace and prosperity. All of this is now gone. Completely destroyed. So what do people do in times like this? When people have lost all hope, when the darkness presses down upon you, you don't have the luxury of believing in a deistic God who merely sets the world in motion and now forever keeps his distance. No, when people are desperate, they want God and they want him now. And they want him to do the dramatic. Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down so that the mountains would quake at your presence. That's what we want. This reference to the mountains quaking at God's presence, this is a reference to Mount Sinai, right after God rescued the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. And the people stood at the foot of that mountain as it quaked from the presence of God. This is the kind of deliverance we need once again, Isaiah is saying. In fact, earlier in chapter 63, at the beginning of this prayer, he even makes this explicit. There he asks the question, Where is the one who caused his glorious arm to march at the right hand of Moses, who divided the waters before us, who led his people out of captivity? Where is he? Why doesn't he do something? God, where is your mighty hand? My goodness. We all know what this feels like, don't we? We know what it's like when our praying only feels like an exercise in talking to ourselves. So many of us have sat beside the bed of a loved one suffering in pain, and we prayed for God to intervene, to show his mighty hand, and nothing happened. We know what it's like to hear other Christians celebrate this or that dramatic miracle or turn of events, something unexplainable, and they give all the glory to God for answering their prayer while our painful situation only deepens, our darkness pressing down all the more. If this is you, then I believe the way God responds to Isaiah's prayer has something to teach us. It has a word for us, but let me warn you, it's probably not what you want to hear. 
Because God does not rip open the curtain of heaven and come down like Israel hoped they would, that he would. God does not shine a great light into their darkness. He does not do something grand as in the days of Moses. No, instead he teaches them how to sit and wait in the darkness. See, it's not what you wanted to hear. For even though the Jews are eventually allowed to return to their land, even though they rebuild Jerusalem and the temple, it's, it's not the same. They are still ruled and oppressed by foreign nations. Their, their kingdom is never restored. So that in a real sense, as the Old Testament comes to a close, it ends with a thud. With the Jewish people still living in exile, still sitting and waiting in darkness. 500 years waiting in darkness. And yet it's during this time that something begins to happen. For some, as they wait, they allow their vision to adjust to the darkness. Their eyes begin to acclimate so that now as they wait, they also find themselves watching. You know how when you walk into a dark room, you, you really can't make out all that's there, which is why your first impulse is to switch on the light. But if you wait long enough, your eyes will actually sharpen and you'll begin to see things you didn't see at first. Slowly but surely, your eyes become conditioned to catch the slightest illumination so that now you are ready to see what others cannot see. Now you aren't just waiting, you're watching. You're right where God wants you to be. 500 years waiting in darkness, and the heavens are finally torn open, just not as Israel had expected. For out in the wilderness, in the river Jordan, as a young Jewish man from Nazareth is coming out of the waters, he sees the heavens torn apart and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice comes from the heavens, echoing words found in Isaiah. You are my son, the beloved. With you I am well pleased. And for those who had the eyes to see it, for those who were not only waiting but watching, they saw the coming of their Lord. A new Moses, the light of the world. 500 years waiting in darkness. God comes not with a great ball of fire, but with the flicker of a flame born in a manger. And only those who were not only waiting, but watching, those who allowed their eyes to adjust to the darkness, only they recognized him when he arrived. Makes me think of Simeon, eight days after Jesus is born, when Joseph and Mary go and present him in the temple. And an old man, Simeon, is there. And the text says that he was looking for the consolation of Israel. In other words, he's waiting, he's watching. And then he sees a light, a little glimmer. He sees Jesus and recognizing him, he, he takes the baby boy into his arms and proclaims, Lord, 
Now let your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all people, to be a light to lighten the Gentiles and to be the glory of your people Israel. How did he see this? How did he recognize God's deliverance in an eight-day-old infant? Because his eyes were acclimated. So that as he waited, he watched and could now perceive the smallest glimmer of hope. My friends, this is what Advent is for. To sit in the dark and let our eyes acclimate so that we might keep watch and keep alert as Jesus admonishes us to do in today's gospel reading. Not only so that we can watch for his second coming, but more importantly, so we can watch for those smaller comings of Jesus into those moments in our lives when we least expect. So we can see Jesus in the darkness when no one else can. Yes, I know something in us really wishes that God would always be visible and audible, clear as day, standing and speaking beside us. But in my experience, that's not the way God typically works. When it's dark outside, God rarely appears as a blinding light. He is rather found in the shadows. He is heard in the whispers. Remember Elijah. Remember when he was running for his life, depressed and alone, wondering why God had abandoned him to the darkness? You'll remember that he too came to Mount Sinai, but this time, the text says, there was a great wind, so strong that it was splitting mountains and breaking rocks into pieces, but the Lord was not in the wind. Then the story says there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not there either. Then there was a great fire, and you guessed it, the Lord was also not in the fire. Until finally, the text says, there was the sound of sheer silence. And that's where God was. My friends, if God is most often known in a whisper rather than an earthquake, it's going to be easy to miss his voice. If God stands aside in the shadows, appearing among us only in dim outlines, then it's going to be easy to miss his coming into our lives. That is, unless we have trained ourselves to see in the dark. Which is why the church in her wisdom begins each year with Advent. So that we might be still and wait and listen. For if we want to see the fragile light that dawns at Christmas, then we must first watch in the darkness. And if we want to hear the songs of angels, then we must first sit in the silence. Friends, we must remove ourselves from the sensory overload that constantly surrounds us so that we can wait and watch. How are you going to do that this Advent? What does this look like for you and your family? How might you take advantage of this season so that you might acclimate your eyes to the darkness and behold the coming of our Lord? Heavenly Father, 
we ask that you would pour out your spirit into our hearts in a fresh way so that we might be strengthened to sit in the darkness in our lives and in our world, to be still, to be silent, and to learn how to watch for the glimmers of hope, all the ways that you come into our lives, many of which we don't even see, many of which we don't even hear. Lord, help us to step away from all the noise. Help us to stay, step away from all that is going on in our busy, chaotic lives and give focused time to waiting, to silence, and to listening so that we may be a people attuned to your coming. We ask this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.